0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Sloppy Lab. Uh, This is Bottom of the Beaker, the show all about the design, ducks, and strategy of Keyforge. I'm J.T. Russell, and with me tonight is the man who always brings 1,300 dice with him whenever he goes to D&D character building, because you never know when you need to roll your lucky number. (laughs) That's uh, Quickdraw3457. Hello, Quickdraw. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I am trying to do the math in my head on rolling the dice and rolling my lucky number. I'm not mm-hmm. sure how that adds up, um, but I do need <laughs> a very large dice carrier. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, I was. That was that was some quick fuzzy math. I think I overshot it a little bit, right? Like, if you throw all d sixes, you figure three and a half uh, average on each. You probably want 1,100 or so. Is that right?
1: Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah,
0: sounds all right. I mean, you could, you can, you know, depending on if you tend to roll highs or lows, you know, as is, as is your style, <laughs> you get a little risk. Depends risky. on the
1: context. Uh, I was playing Root the other day, and uh, if you've not played Root, they actually have a very interesting D twelve, and it has three zeros, uh, three ones, three twos, and three threes, and you roll the dice huh. for for battling, and uh, zeros are very bad there, and I roll nothing but zeros all night, so. Yes
0: three zeros three ones three twos and three threes
1: yeah so it's a d12 and it just goes up to three
0: sounds like a glorified d4 if you ask me
1: <laughs> um you're probably not wrong the d4 is like the weird pyramid shaped which is not yes. really like as it's not as pleasing you know it doesn't I, have I that same yeah but okay. um well or i mean i guess you could do a d8 That seems like that would make sense too
0: uh, if if you have the same number, you can reduce all the way down to one side, one face for each. But yeah, if you don't want the weird pyramid shape, totally, yeah, yeah. totally, yeah. I, f- I feel that. I feel that.
1: <laughs> well, um, so the long story short, there is that I was rolling very bad, very badly that game, and uh, I'm trying to tie this together the best I can. Uh, and sometimes it's good to be bad, but not when you're playing root. Don't be bad when you're playing root. Um. Yeah, I don't know. How did I do tying that together? Was that a was that a reasonable segue?
0: I've never played Root, so you could have said anything. And with if you had a straight face, it would have worked. <laughs>
1: uh, there are some Root fans in the NKFL server. I hope they give me a shout out. Um, talk some strategy sometime. Uh, but yeah, I've been really into Root lately. How do you recommend you've, it as a board game?
0: I was gonna say you've recommended it a few times, so I think it's it's time to make it happen. I don't know. Yeah. You gotta do it.
1: Yeah, should do it. It'd be one of those a great game to bring to uh future vault tour. And when people are tired of losing at KeyForge late night gaming, get some root in be a fun one.
0: Nice. I dig it. And uh, welcome to folks in the chat. Hey, DataForge stream. Let's get sloppy indeed. Oh, and clogging always with the heartening questions, man. I love this. Uh, we, we have on the stream right now, uh Gargantus scrapper uh, up. And uh, he's wondering if. You know, is this an early geistoid giant? Looks, I mean, could be, could be, could be sifting through the old scrap pile for some uh, for some geistoid fuel, as it were. Jar goggle too, you know. I don't know. Could be. Could be. I don't know. Ketzer. I was going <laughs> to say.
1: Quaggan <Yeah. laughs> is probably one person that should know this for sure. He's asking the question, uh, and we're we're asking right back at you, Ketzer, or maybe. Ketzer. I was going to say, if Ketzer's joining this evening, maybe Ketzer can give us some info on that
0: one totally i i'd love to think that uh i'd love to think that these were early early little teasers uh to that future maybe mm, we can we can dream,
1: dream. <laughs> yeah maybe they definitely thought that far ahead definitely i will I'm say not, so, uh, i'm not confident in that
0: i'm not confident in that from a from a uh from a uh i don't know flavor and flavor standpoint though the flavor for uh the Equidon house, uh was definitely in shapes that resembled its current shape uh very uh <laughs> very early on you know so it could be could be <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah uh, the clock that's it, a fun time folks. yeah yeah keep it honest <laughs> uh but anyway uh we have a fun topic in store for the evening um actually uh, we're going to be talking what are we talking about quick draw what are we talking about tonight
1: we're going to be talking to put put it simply we're going to be talking about bad cards and why they are
0: good it's good to be bad and uh and partly inspired by our friends over at the a uh, weekend key Wars podcast uh, they did an episode on bad cards uh, very recently which i enjoyed thoroughly i uh, appreciate the episode and we're gonna you know you know, uh, uh, take us for a different, different spin, different spin. So they talked a lot about, uh, you know, how to identify bad cards and, uh, and what to do with them. And for the hard hitting strategy, they got some big brains over there, putting out the good content on that. We are taking more of a designy approach to the topic, uh, which is pretty fun. So if you're looking for how to identify bad cards, this is not the episode for you. That one's the one for you. Uh, if you're maybe more curious about why they're great for a game and why they're important to exist, like this is a cool one. And you'll also hear about, you know, our, our favorite things to do with them and favorite ones, even I think so.
1: And just to spoil our favorite things to do with them is not to play shredder.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not even with the garganta scrapper, as it were. Sh- Gargantus shredder. I don't know.
1: It's just the crapper. We just call it the crapper.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is behated and goes by that name many many place indeed yeah um, okay so yeah let's let's dive right in i do. Sure. Date.
1: yeah uh we always have like a interest in the design part of keyforge and so this is one that uh this is an article you shared with me probably a couple of years ago at this point and we always were like kind of talking about this and how interesting it was as a concept um we are going to link the article for everyone in chat here and i am sure that our um Wonderful producer is going to put it in the show notes as well, uh, but it is a article from uh, Magic: The Gatherings. I guess what's his title now? Head designer, lead designer, Mark Rosewater.
0: Probably something along those lines. Yeah, it's, um,
1: he's he's a big shot over there, you know. Um, I uh, it, he writes a lot of design articles, and this is one that he wrote about bad cards and why they're necessary in a game like Magic. And obviously, KeyForge being not a constructed game uh, is a little bit different, but there is a lot of really nice principles that we can take from that. Um, I thought it was a fascinating read, definitely gave me a different perspective, and um, we've talked a lot about this, you know, within the Sloppy Lab, and uh, there's there's a lot of good out of this, I think, as far as, like, the health of the game, Uh, but also strategically, there's, like, some interesting aspects that you can take, too, depending on what type of player you are.
0: Man, January of two thousand two—that is a deep cut. Deep cut.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of archives from Mark Rosewater that are still very good reads.
0: Yeah, some good stuff. Um, cool. And so uh, the the absolute takeaway—the uh, chat already beat us to it—and um, we're fond of saying it on the uh, on the show here. But ABCD always be card discarding. The bad cards are just coaching you to do the right things. yeah but
1: even the gargantus crapper uh is not a discard unless you also have the first blood for some value uh that's really the only time that a card like that is a discard it is the gargantus crapper is not actively bad like something like bad penny usually is uh or plenty of other examples uh dexter depending on who you're talking to you know cards like that this is a little bit different it's more of just a do nothing card um again i don't want to get too much into that but that is what the Weekend Podcast uh, talked about about what different types of bad cards there are. We're not going to get quite into that. So let's let's start with Mark Rosewater because you have linked and you've talked a lot about his stuff before. Um, what mm-hmm. drew you to this topic from, from his writings in the past?
0: Yeah. Uh, and honestly, some of his points really do hint at things that I love about Keyforge. You know, uh, the bad cards really do set you on the quote unquote bad cards really do set you on a path to discovery, right? Uh, some cards look bad but aren't Uh, some cards look good but are actually bad and sifting through those is a really important part of the journey for new players especially right like i'm sure we've all been there uh you read you read bad penny the first time you read bad penny you're like you mean i have a creature that never dies like this is amazing uh and that's a thing that's very common to uh like the new player experience especially if you're not a not a a hardcore gamer or have played a lot of other games or, or if you just haven't, you know, maybe you are, but you just haven't kind of like fully, fully uh, like grasped the, you know, intuited the, I can only play one house every turn sort of, sort of idea and and how resources flow in the game. And, uh, and Mm. those sorts of cards, Bad Penny especially uh, has like, has lessons built into it and and the pathway to discovery is there in a lot of these bad cards and that was a, a big piece of his article which i liked and i'd i'd like to to get into how that's specific to keyforge versus uh versus something like magic but uh, that's the first one uh there's paths to discovery that are baked into bad cards uh so that's one uh i don't know if you had any, anything you wanted to jam on that before i well, move on just to one other was...
1: yeah one thing i like to add to that like i found this really good because. Um... You know, in Coda, it's very easy, like once you're more advanced in the game to look at Bad Penny and understand why it's a bad card. Um, if we look at future sets and some bad cards, and I will admit, and we'll talk about this in a bit too, that future sets, the bad cards are not as bad as they used to be. Uh, but, you know, now that most of us listening to this or, or watching or talking about this right now are, are more familiar with like the deeper level of Key Forge strategy, we can generally look at new cards and be like, that's a good card, that's a bad card. But at the same time, there are still going to be some bad cards. You have to put the bad cards in there. And this is what Rosewater was getting at, is that you have to put the bad cards in there that are secretly good or sometimes good, which enables that discovery to say, like, okay, like, this is a bad card, but maybe I can find a way to make this good. And even Bad Penny has ways of doing that. Even Dexter has ways of doing that. And I think that's such a great part about this game. And I think it's a very important part, too, considering you don't have that level of constructed and you really have to play with the deck you're dealt with uh and i I think having a bad bad cards is a very key part of that
0: yeah totally uh the like this deck is a fixed thing is a blessing and curse totally uh and like you almost you, you just have to make the bad cards work and figuring out how to do that even once you figure it out that hey this card is generally bad not having that be the end of the conversation for you uh and having to reevaluate in different matchups and different situations is super super interesting and even set to set as new things get printed or there's different environments uh you know in a lot of games where you can put whatever you want into a deck it's very easy to say oh I have a I have this sense for what rate I should be getting you know what value I should be getting for particular resource consumption right like in uh, I'm I'm not a fab player uh, per se but you do hear that there's uh, you know, having, having s- s- a fab player, a big fab player for our brother, right? Uh, like he, there's this very, there's this like an idea of how much value you should get for, uh, the resources at different levels. You know, there's the, the, the cards that pitch for one, two, and three. Um, uh, uh, I'm not sure what the resources are called, but you know, there's the one, two, and three tier. And there's kind of the sense for what rate you should be getting of value at each of those tiers. And you can very easily judge whether or not, you know, cards are above or below grade in terms of value. Uh, And that's something that you can almost take for granted in a a deck building game, but it's not one that you uh, have the luxury of being able to, you know, not an idea that you have luxury of being able to lean on in in like Key which is super cool, I think.
1: Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I think maybe related to this and relevant to think about is the number of decks registered per set as well. Because when we see that there are, seemingly more bad cards in coda maybe a, a spike in aoa depending on who you talk to uh, fewer <laughs> in worlds collide fewer in mass mutation probably more in dark tidings let's be real and then i maybe none like i, I can't think of any cards you know zock mentioned blacksmith in in winds of exchange that's a bad card
0: ancient battleground yeah
1: ancient battleground yeah like these ones you're like yeah these are bad cards but they're not bad they're, they're just you discard them and they're Harder to come by usually. I think they're uncommon or rare, both of those. Um, Whereas every deck you open in Coda is going to have like a Bad Penny or a Dexter or a ape or, you know, something that's just like, eh, doesn't do enough, doesn't. And so when you have like over, what is it, 2 million Coda decks registered? Or is it- Let's say that, sure. I I think it's, maybe it's not quite that much. Um, You still get those high-end decks because with that, sample size, you're going to find these high quality decks. And then as we've had fewer and fewer decks registered in subsequent sets, you have fewer bad cards, you're still seeing a similar ceiling of decks. Imagine if Winds of Exchange had the print run of Coda, but did not have the bad cards. The kind of decks we'd be seeing in Winds of Exchange, I think would be off the charts. Uh, Or flip this, what if Winds of Exchange had the number of bad cards that Coda has? with the small print run that we've seen so far would anyone even be playing this or would it really be like a you know a set that people would be playing at at vault tours like we've seen uh i think that's kind of interesting too and and maybe we have to think about how they're designing those based on what the expected print run of the set is too because if the print run is going to be smaller in the future maybe they can't afford to put in as many bad cards as they did originally with a very high print
0: run interesting so you are you saying that you think that there is an intentional like raising of the sea level in terms of overall card quality in anticipation of lower print runs?
1: No, I don't think it's intentional. I think it may be a happy accident. It may just be that we're lucky. Um, in fact, Fabulousing asked directly at KFC a couple weeks ago about power creep and is it something that they are like actively trying to to do or go for? And the answer was no they they're not actively seeking out power creep it's just kind of been part of the development process and i mean to be to be honest the answer was a little unsatisfying to me because it either mm-hmm. says we don't think there's power creep but i think we all know there is or um you know they don't think this is power creep and you know i don't know it's hard, it's hard to explain but i i didn't quite like the answer to that question so to answer your question no i don't think that they are actively considering print run with card quality But I think just so happens the way that the game and the state we're in right now, the economics of the game, I think we're kind of lucky that the print run is lower because of this.
0: Mm. And now I'm curious too, when you, when you are looking at, uh, when you're looking at a set like Winds of Exchange, do you judge its cards as good or bad relative to the rest of the sets? Or are you looking within, within Winds of Exchange and saying like in Winds of Exchange this card is bad? I mean, I think. Something like Ancient Ancient Battleground is just bad generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh there are other card do you I guess do you consider good cards uh cards good or bad within the context of just winds of exchange or within the context of you know keyforge generally?
1: Um I think in the context of Keyforge generally is what I would say. I am more of a person that when I look at a deck, I try to look at different synergies. And I don't really think like, oh, that's a bad card. I used to think like that. I used to say like I actually good story here. Uh, I had a Coda deck, probably one of the first 10 decks that I've ever opened, and it is Croc of Lermal Void, and just to spare you the details, you don't need to look it up, it is just a combo deck with library access, phase shift, reverse time, battle fleet, key abduction, so it has the one turn kill possibility, and as an inexperienced player, um, I was I knew enough to say, like, that's a bad card, that's a good card, I did not understand the depth of that combo, and how to properly set it up, and how to use it. And when I first was a young, uh, a newer player, I opened that deck and it has, I think, two dexters in it, and I instantly thought, like, man, this deck has two terrible cards. This is probably a very bad deck. And I wasn't thinking of it in terms of the overall synergies and combos. Nowadays, I look at a deck and I don't really look and say, like, that's a bad card. I really look at, like, what are the, what is this deck's identity? What's it trying to do? How is it working with other cards? And that might be like, okay, I see I have three seeker needles and get excited and look for a bad penny with that, right? Like things like that. Um, So I think it's how you're looking at a deck list is uh, different as well. And I'm not just looking at it as like good card, bad card, good card, bad card.
0: Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I I think I do also tend to look at uh, cards and evaluate them across, you know, all of Keyforge. And certainly if you look at DOK, you know, you have, it's not. You know what's the arc within woe it's what's the arc as as evaluated across all of the cards and all the decks um so we have we have kind of the scale that everybody uses that that cuts across all of time um but at the same time we look at or i guess and we look at something like cpo zytar and say gosh this is just a better infomorph like like it's got armor it's got an additional damage pip uh that it grants as well as the two draw pips. you know it's just better than infomorph um but i mean i think environment the environment and context really matters right if we had a uh, Cronus, Cronus, Cronus. yeah you know where i was going with that i do uh, we do not have a Cronus in woe but we do in mass mutations those drop hips those mass mutation drop hips are just better especially in logos than they are in than they are in winds of exchange so i don't think it's it's really fair to look at cards cross set and call one strictly better or strictly worse necessarily uh only because the context that surrounds each of those cards is going to be different with very little crossover right barring some barring some legacies here and there uh you're you're really not going to see the winds of exchange cards getting the benefits of a mass mutation context per se Mm -hmm. um so even though you know you might see some quote unquote strict upgrades um i think that's okay and doesn't necessarily mean that uh you know a card that's was good before is still going to be good And that's an interesting question, or a card that was bad before and got reprinted is still going to be bad.
1: Yeah. So I think for most of our favorite decks, we probably have some bad cards in them, and that's not pushing us away from those decks anymore. Um, I think a lot of us, especially if we have a lot of favorite uh, AOA and Coda decks, we all have a bad penny. So like, if we're not avoiding those cards, or the decks with those cards anymore, um, how does this differ from like ccgs where in a ccg you could just like i'm never including a bad penny or a bad card whereas here we have to play around those cards like how does that affect like you in the game as a gamer you know like when you're looking at a deck and playing a deck compared to ccgs
0: yeah from a design perspective and from a from a game you know in terms of what i like about the game and this is really one of the things that drew me to KeyForge initially or really got got me hooked um like i've played a lot of magic my fondest memories of magic are from when i was just beginning and didn't have any you know wasn't looking up decks online you know seeing what you know hadn't wasn't really worried about what the meta was i was just kind of cracking some packs and throwing some decks together and jamming those and some of the cards were good some of them were bad but i was playing what i had access to and i had to make do with the bad cards that were there because i had to get to you know 60 or 40 or, or whatever the case may have been and and sometimes that meant playing some suboptimal choices and that was a lot of fun like having to do that was a lot of fun um and then you know getting to a point later where no i could trade for trade for or pick up the cards that i needed to get to what i considered an optimal list just meant i wasn't having to uh there were a whole there was a whole class of puzzles within the game that i was essentially avoiding for the sake of optimization right uh, and Keyforge says, "No, no, you're going to still get to or have to uh, uh, wrestle with those puzzles." And I think that's an awesome thing, and uh, and that's really one of the things that drew me to Keyforge initially was a lot of the feel of of the games from sort of early Magic, or even even later on when you're playing something like Commander, which for folks who aren't uh, familiar is uh, a much higher card counts per deck. You're playing 100 cards or 99 plus one and uh you can only play singletons, so no multiples and very often you see folks making very you know s- splashy or or flavorful deck construction choices and you're seeing higher variance games in situations where you've got to make do with whatever you've got um, but i think it provides for a kind of scrappier problem solving you know puzzling things out sort of experience that that really speaks to folks and i i think that the bad cards really get you down the trenches uh with with kind of doing that and it's something that i really appreciate about the game
1: i think your experience with magic is extremely relatable too like i was the same way when i was a kid and i had a limited budget and i'm playing star wars ccg and magic a little bit and you can't just afford to have like the 60 best cards that you know you read won a major tournament in scry magazine the week before you know like not everyone has that you have to play with this stuff that's like well um I wish I had a, uh, I'm trying to remember the names of the cards now, like Lightning Bolt, but not everyone has Lightning Bolt. And so there's the one that came out later that deals two damage instead of three. You know, like, I got to make do with this instead of the Lightning Bolt. And so those kind of, not that that's a bad card, but, um, and you're going to tell me what the name is, aren't you? Shock. I was going to say shock. I almost said shock. (laughs) Um, But we had uh, Orion on last season on this show to talk about like playing Keyforge on a budget. And I, I think it's, it's a very relatable problem where people are like yeah like we've all played games where we've haven't had you know the biggest budget and all the best cards and having to make do with that is a really awesome part of a game's discovery especially in a game like keyforge where you can't change those cards and you have to learn how the best way to play a deck and play around these bad cards are like you might have a cursed relic which you know we could say is uh, by itself obviously a bad card Uh, but what it does for your deck maybe is you know debatable whether it's positive or negative value but you have to have a plan for how to handle that specific bad card in your deck and maybe that means you're gonna uh protect your old tinker or play your old tinker as soon as possible to try to like get rid of it from the start or maybe you'll hold your Mm -hmm. trade secrets for a very long time just to ensure that you can get rid of the crystal like when you want to you know like you have to develop these ways of playing around your deck's limitations in keyforge whereas other games you're just like well i'm just gonna not put that card in my deck at all and i think that's the beautiful part of keyforge is having to do that
0: Mm -hmm. totally oh we have an interesting question too from the chat here do you think cards gain or lose bad card designation or status you know with kind of tokens token making as a as a mechanic uh you were mentioning before i think before we got on that uh you thought that the just in general the card quality in Woe was higher and there were fewer bad cards. I mean, maybe it was, maybe it was at the top of the show, but we, we thought of, you know, there are a couple examples of, you know, bad cards in Woe. Uh, Certainly I'd say it, it mitigates their impact, uh, at least on average. Right.
1: I don't think I would agree. I think it has no impact because, and this is kind of related to what um, was discussed when Winds of Exchange came out with how we were going to score these cards on decks of Keyforge. Mm-hmm. And you have to make the assumption that, you know, each time, each game, sure, you might tokenize this curse relic, but you also might tokenize your uh, closed door negotiation or befuddle, you know, like, you can't just assume that like, okay, this card is less bad because I might tokenize it because at the same time, you, you're not saying that the, that befuddle is less good because you might tokenize it. I, I don't think it cuts both ways. And I think you just kind of have to assume that like some games you're gonna to tokenize the wrong card, some games you're gonna to tokenize the right card.
0: Yeah. Uh it's it, it kind of works out in the wash on, on averages, right? Uh you'll just as often be playing the bottom half of your deck as you will the top of your deck, and and it kind of nets out to about the same. But uh on average your deck so your deck has, you know, a a rate of goodness that's consistent, regardless of which specific cards you tokenize, that like rate is uh is the same. Uh or as sort of a constant for the deck, if that makes sense. Uh, I, I guess with Woe, I started thinking of Arc and Sass as more like a rate than a fixed fixed number, right? Uh, or, or at least in terms of just vanilla card quality, not not synergies. Um, this is maybe maybe a little bit of a different question, but yeah, you think about you know the average value you're getting per card, uh, not necessarily from an individual card specifically. Hmm.
1: Yeah, um, and not to get on too sidetracked on this, but yeah, I think we've definitely talked before about how your SAS score of a deck could be displayed as a range instead of a fixed number. And that might give you a better picture of what the deck's capable of, both in the high end and the low end. Um that's a bit of a tangent away from the the bad card discussion. So save that for another day.
0: For another day. Cool. Uh well yeah well we definitely hit on context being super relevant. I, I do really like bad cards I do really like having bad cards in that they provide yeah these these puzzles for you to solve this path to discovery, you know ancient battleground, you look at it, and there will be a lot of folks who read it and say this is this card's awesome, and I'm not saying that there aren't decks that it isn't playable in or there aren't situations where it's not playable uh, but I think in general it's it's a little bit of a trap, and the fact that it is a trap is is an interesting kind of chance for discovery for folks mm-hmm. um, and then. Once you've just, once you've determined that it's not a good card, being able to realize where recognize situations where it's still good in this situation, even though it's generally bad is also interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: Yeah, for sure. And like, I, I love that about that. And so like when winds of exchange came out, there was cards like that. And even corner of the market where I was like, uh, if I'm not closing out a game, is this really a good card? And I would advise anyone playing a new card, a new deck, or a new set, something you're not familiar with, first time through it, just play every card. You know, you could look at a card and be like, this card's terrible, and I know it is, and I know this is going to be bad for me. I would say play it anyway, because I think it's important to learn and experience why a card is bad and how bad it is for your deck. Um, And in the crazy scenarios, maybe you'll discover, like, actually... Uh, because i played this because i gave it a shot i learned something different about it and maybe it's not quite as bad as i thought it was and you can find some situations where you might want to actually play it so for for new decks i would just say first time you're playing through it play every card don't even think about it just see what happens with it and learn your lesson one way or another and then next time after you know and like yeah i remember last time i played this ancient battleground they just discarded all their creatures that's an important lesson that you may not have gotten had you just played it out. And so I think early on in the discovery phase, it's good to just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks.
0: And then after you've done the discovery, throw everything in the bin. Always be card discarding.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, Actually, I had a couple ancient Battleground decks before where I was like, yeah, I got a Celestial Gorm in here. I got an auction off in here. Uh, I could definitely throw this out there, get some value, clear their board, and then just whenever I'm done with it, Celestial Gorm pop it back i mean obviously that's going to be risky if they have their own artifact control to take out your gorm but you know you know what i mean like there's options that you Mm -hmm. can find situations like that and i think seeking those situations out and those combos out uh is is pretty interesting to me
0: yeah i love that i love the i love the extra facets to the puzzle that get layered in um yeah figuring out how to make the ancient battleground work or make the bad penny work um is just like is just like a beautiful thing um yeah I dig it.
1: In fact, I uh, I rule of six the bad penny. I think I rule of six it. Maybe it was only five on uh, on stream on Fudgeinator stream at uh, the world championship. This was against- with Kanban? This was with Kanban, Yeah, nice. Um, I had the desk switch out that stuck, and I think I, I think I played and used the bad penny six times in a turn. Nice. So not not always bad.
0: Oh yeah, we we almost had this come up on our on our game after this after the recording last week. I was debating whether or not to leave the Dusk Witch. And, you know, let's be honest, folks. No one's ever really debating whether or not to leave the dust Witch. They're just wondering if they can look themselves in the mirror in the next morning if they let it live. That is true. <laughs> but you had the Dusk Witch. Uh, you had a slot open next to Little Niff. And it's like, wow, well, what's the worst that can happen with this witch? <laughs> Rule of six, bad penny would be hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that's been
1: the dream. I don't know if I've ever maybe pulled it off once uh, with the Little Niff but it's so hard to get two small elusive wishes to stick for two straight turns and then have the bad penny in the right situation. Mm-hmm. It's so rare to have that happen.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh I mean if you were starting your turn with a dust witch in play, things are already good for you. I suppose steel 3 uh with your bad penny is not uh not the worst that not the worst that could happen, but it's just yeah, the funny. Yeah. I like it.
1: Keep looking for those ways of of using those bad cards. That's good.
0: I mean I've, I know I've bring this deck up often, but Oddly Nefarious call Carl would absolutely love a bad penny. Uh the, the hated card, the card everybody loves to hate, this deck would kill for a bad penny. Um, uh, Triple Seeker Needle, Mac, Mac the Knife? Not Mac the Knife. Yes, Mac the Knife. Um, and a Soul Snatcher. Oof, a Soul Snatcher. This is criminal quick draw. A, Snow, a Soul Snatcher that gets rated negative 1.25 in this deck. Oof. Breaks my heart, yeah. but I love to see it.
1: <laughs> you love to see it. Keep that SAS cap eligible. So let's, let's jump back for a second to the question of, do we have fewer bad cards in mm. not just Winds of Exchange, but also Grim Reminders. Grim Reminders, the jury is still out. I learned a ton playing just like three or four games with, with Grim Reminders. Um, so, but I, don't, I won't pretend to know enough to say answer this question. But it, it feels to me like there are fewer bad cards
0: in Woe. Do you think so too? I think woe in general has fewer bad cards, fewer, obviously bad cards. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, There are some that are situational and I think we, there are some that are maybe, maybe more than are situational. I don't know if that's true. I think token making itself uh, provides an interesting puzzle and isn't always the right thing to do. Um, And that's kind of, uh, and that's kind of maybe where some of that that questioning, the things that you knew about KeyForge is coming in. Um, And actually a, Brief, brief aside, this was something that I really did appreciate from the Q&A section with G, uh, Gigi at uh Keyforge Celebration. You know, they're really emphasizing getting into the game ways for folks to uh, rethink things that they held as true about the game. Like, oh, it's, uh, you know, not good to hold cards generally is the thing that they're challenging you with maybe in Grim Reminders, for example. I think uh, in Woe we have this interesting question of whether I should be going as wide as I can or should I be not making this token now per se, and, and what's what's going to be the impact of my long term strategy. Um, but in in general, I would say that there's fewer g- bad cards in Woe. Yes. Um, yeah.
1: I also feel that the the best cards are better. We always look at Halifest, Befuddle. Um, you know these cards are very high ceiling and so what i think of when i see fewer bad cards you know you you have a higher density of good cards in the deck just by definition if you have fewer bad cards there's more good cards and i think the higher density of good cards you have the shorter the game is going to be because if your all your cards are doing good things for you and giving you value it's going to shorten the game just because you're playing you know, all these better cards you're playing them more frequently. You're having fewer turns that just kind of don't pitch cards for no value. Like how many times in AOA and in, in Coda have we had this turn where you're just like, well I'll just play like uh you know a bad penny or I'll discard bad penny. I'll play a Seeker Needle and I'll play a skeleton key uh for no value and pass the turn. And like your whole turn is like you just got rid of cards basically that aren't doing much mm-hmm. for you. And lengthening the game like that with these bad cards I think, gives players more agency. And what I have not really enjoyed about Winds of Exchange is just that every single turn is high-value cards, high-value plays, things you must answer immediately, or the Runaway Board State will win, or the Halifest-Robnar combo will win, or all of the pips that you see in decks with like 20-some pips, they're just going to run away and the game's over. And I think having fewer bad cards in this set, to me, is. of the reason why these games are just kind of over faster they're decided faster and mm-hmm. i don't like that because it feels to me like i have less agency as a player because i only have like five turns to figure out if i can win this game or not compared to maybe like seven to ten
0: yeah i actually i really like this point especially especially cross set play and i've often i've often wondered i mean what do you think is do you have in your mind the ideal length for a game or or what you think is now too fast for game for decks to be you know threatening key three per se Uh,
1: we have a rule that we've talked about in our team where (laughs) with with winds of exchange rush decks if you're not checking for your third key by turn seven you're not a rush deck Mm -hmm. and it feels to me like that is way more common in winds of exchange to open a deck that can check for key three on turn seven than it is in any previous set
0: yeah we've definitely had a quite a few that that hit that mark especially especially when you consider the you know overall open rate for us relative to some of the older sets that we've that we've opened um for sure and i think along with that an uptick in disruption that comes along with with pips uh exacerbates yeah. that right you know when you look at yep. trashman or or veg razor it's not just that they're checking for key three on turn six or seven but it's also that well one of of the turns you played befuddle or corner of the market and and all of a sudden your opponent has instead of six or seven turns you know four or five turns to to really muster a defense um which is interesting yeah yeah i and i maybe this is a reason why i like sas cap games so much or um have really i've really felt the fresh of fresh of breath air a breath of fresh air with uh with kagging you know uh some of the decks that are a little bit lower powered uh with the game stretching out longer it feels like you know the game has more time to mature and and really your deck can do its thing and develop as opposed to uh as opposed to just kind of asking whose pips lined up right or whose whose power cards lined up right um so i could agree with that in general i i don't think that an overall you know too many good cards is necessarily a good thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think uh, hmm. this probably is the best argument I've heard in favor of sascap.
0: Hmm. Interesting.
1: I'm not a sascap fan, but it's it's compelling to me to say like yeah, like sascap means you ha- you're going to have low value cards that you need to play around. I still can't get past the fact that to me sascap is a format where you are actively trying to take advantage of a system <laughs> that was created by individuals you know that are doing the best they can to score cards for a completely different purpose than a Sas cap event, so there's still the negatives of it, in my opinion, but you're right that this is like you know when you're playing sas cap you're you're going to encounter this stuff and you have to get around it. I think that was kind of the idea about reversal to begin with was like mm. you know play reversal and you're going to be handed a very bad deck, and you have to do the best you can with it in theory, it sounds pretty cool, but in practice uh i've i've witnessed some decks that literally cannot win i i've i saw someone they showed me what they said was the worst reversal deck they've ever seen in their life and i was like how bad could it be i probably got one that could compete with it it has one bonus amber and plague rats and just like like so few other creatures it just all of its Mm -hmm. cards just do nothing it cannot make any amber period and I was like, uh, yeah, actually, I think this might be the worst deck I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and so that's what kind of like everyone thinks of with Reversal now. And and obviously the format is essentially dead at this point.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. Although I, I am always on the hunt for a good Reversal deck just to have. I don't know why. Uh, uh, maybe it's my, my propensity for the negative play experiences to push on my opponent. <laughs> yeah, well, um,
1: I can vouch for that. You definitely have that propensity.
0: I do indeed. I do indeed. And yeah. not ashamed about it either. Uh though I don't know. I don't know about, about rats. Man, I, I I love rats. I feel like I'd be very suspicious of very uneasy giving myself my opponent a rats deck to play with in a reversal game. Uh you've got elusive bodies to reap with and uh and creature control all baked into one nice tidy package. I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> I'll send you the deck if I can find it later. Um I think you'll probably agree after looking at it, that it's probably the worst of the worst.
0: Okay. Well, we'll look forward to that. Um, though. I mean, I, I, man, we were talking about what's our favorite, what's our favorite bad cards. Like plague rats are a hated card as well. Uh, People love to hate the plague rats. I love the plague rats, man. I don't know. Mm. I don't know what it is. Uh, I played actually a great game with, uh, Karen in the minors league earlier today, and it was plague rats versus troopers. It's kind of like, uh, was I was going to say does, does troopers still count. <laughs> troopers probably still counts in the in the public opinion. <laughs> I don't <laughs> know. I think think they're catching on. <laughs> the tide
1: is turning with the troopers.
0: Hey, the tide is turning. Yeah. Yeah, uh but I don't know, man. Playgrats, I like Playgrats. Like troopers too. What can I say? Unpopular opinions catching on.
1: Yeah. Uh, um I would say troopers probably if it still counts, I don't think it does. Um Another one that I encountered as we were preparing for this one is uh, World Tree. World Tree is one that people have always been like, oh, it's just a bad card. It's slow. It doesn't give you an amber pit. Blah blah blah. I have I have World Tree in my Evil Twin deck, and it just makes the deck tick. Where you get the Evil Witch of the Dawn every single turn, and uh, keep bringing back the Chronophage and other creatures that give you value. And then when you're done with your entire turn, you're like, I right, I'll use the World Tree, put the Witch on top of my deck, and I'm gonna get ready to do it again next turn
0: hmm so let's i don't know let's let's maybe hit on as as we're talking about favorites you know or you know and uh i have some favorite cards too but i also curious about you know what are the lessons or, or what makes these good bad cards per se so bad penny i think is a good example of a bad card a good design of a bad card because it teaches you that Teaches you about handcrafting. Like there's handcrafting. There are handcrafting lessons built into Bad Penny. You you spend a few games getting your hand clogged, and you say something's going wrong with the way that my matches are playing. Like what is it? And you're like, well, this Bad Penny keeps getting stuck in my hand. Mm, maybe maybe I should be thinking about you know how my how my hand is shaping up. Turn over turn, and and this is sort of a lesson baked into Bad Penny. Um, I don't know. Uh, the the rats are interesting. Like would you say there's a. a a lesson in the rats themselves or any of the or world tree for example uh, is there kind of a lesson or a puzzle uh in world um,
1: Tree? i haven't played with rats in literally years um so i can't speak with any authority on that i did watch your miners game today and those rats got some good value against you mm-hmm. um that was a very cool deck from karen um i don't know like world tree is one that i think maybe it is kind of akin to bad penny because you're going to play the world tree and later in future turns if you're not setting up a combo so again like so many of these bad cards i think can be good with a combo you talked about bad penny and soul snatcher how you wish you had it in carl and i've talked about the world tree with the evil witch of the dawn like those are combos right like there are definitely combos to be had with bad cards but if we're just talking about like a regular deck that has a world tree what is the lesson you're trying to take from using that like You might go to an untamed turn and you have like three shadows in your hand and you're thinking, oh, I'm probably going to go shadows next turn because I I already have three cards. I'm going to draw three more. I'll probably draw another shadows. And so you might world tree back like, you know, a shadows creature or something like that. But then you end up like not drawing what you think or you draw into a better option with another house. Um, And, you know, you have to like learn over time. Like, okay, like I am predicting one of the cards that I'm going to draw. And what if I'm like not sure I'm going into that house the next turn? Because a lot can change once you draw, once they handle your board. And so you might be like, okay, I'm gonna go straight back into untamed next turn. Let's put like this Witch of the Eye back on top of my deck. And then the next turn comes around, they wipe your untamed board, and all you have in your hand from untamed is this witch of the eye. And it turns out that it's a chain for a turn. And by the time you play it, you have to wait another turn to get value from it. And so when you're playing a card like World Tree, you have to kinda like figure this stuff out trial and error um world tree is not a discard but you may not use it as often as you might think you would and so getting into those situations and kind of similar to what i said about like first time you're playing a deck or a, a new set just play the cards i would say just try the world tree just use it see what it does for you see what it hurts you with and kind of make a, a judgment from there about like how it's actually helping or hurting you
0: yeah totally there i mean there there are puzzles or, or... Learning pathways in there, just to kind of sum up, like uh, around planning your turns, you know, and also telegraphing perils of telegraphing a little bit, kind of baked into World Tree, uh, which is interesting, especially if there's not a combo that's looming and you're threatening. It's it's just like, hey, I'm probably calling Shadows next turn and and I'm playing this card and maybe have some others in my grip. Uh, there's some telegraphing that happens there, and that's a little bit of a trap that you at least have to be aware of if if not play around specifically. Um, I mean, thinking about Gargantus scrapper and to an extent first blood as well uh i definitely see folks holding them to get max value and um there's this is a little bit analogous you know thinking back on uh, mtgj's to uh to morph creatures you know magic had this ability baked in at one point where you had this modal modal element or uh, uh, modal uh option for creatures you can either play it as a you know small vanilla dude for a low cost or you could wait until you could afford the high cost and, and get max value and the trap there is like people just wait they'll just wait because it feels bad to like throw value away but a lot of times it's right to just take the value you can get now like play this play the scrapper now get the vanilla dude you didn't get the damage but you got a card out of your hand you're going to keep moving and similarly for you know first blood take the pip okay you didn't get to spread any damage around but like that's fine and there's there are traps baked in which are also learning up learning moments for folks who are who are new or kind of figuring these out like what's the right balance point how often should i actually be holding these up for max value, and how often shouldn't i and um i think that's that's what makes these very interesting to me as you know quote unquote bad cards
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: yeah definitely agree with that yeah cool uh well i don't know i don't know that those are some of my favorites i mean it's probably unfair to call soul snatcher a bad card it's, as we got called out in the chat already there's there's some that are more situational than bad per se and this one's this one's just uh uh just lowly rated in a particular deck where it happens to be good in a combo um but uh is potentially a trap too and has has kind of uh lessons baked into it around evaluating you know where the game's headed um and and kind of who's going to benefit more from an effect like it uh, especially when it's not being used for nefarious combo combo purposes
1: Good choice of word there
0: indeed it was intentional pun, uh, pun intended <laughs> there you go I, so i,
1: I told dataforge stream earlier that we would talk about dexter um okay. he, he wanted to know uh i think we're going to find the word can we talk about the savages that play dexter is what zach said um <laughs> i don't think dexter is as bad as i thought it was in the past but i think it also has more use cases so like one example I gave you earlier is like I am more likely to play a Dexter if I have a library of Babel in my deck because I feel that the Library of Babel mitigates some of the downside of Dexter, and it's kind of nice to always have that option of amber control in logos and getting that that one amber captured back on it. Um if you have the library of Babel, that means that you can either fight with the Dexter and then just redraw into it immediately or you can ensure that uh, you know you draw your next turn that you have like that card you would have drawn if that dexter wasn't clogging your hand you're still going to be able to draw it um not a perfect situation but it in my opinion mitigates it a little bit so um i I could see a lot of other use cases for dexter as well but yeah i will admit there's a lot of decks that i have where i'm just not going to play it
0: Hmm. just got just got all these draws to spare you can waste them on dexter this is what you're saying no i mean it's
1: (laughs) so every time you have a draw in the middle of your turn you have a one in three chance of getting some value. And if you have a Dexter, then you know you're getting at least some value out of that
0: draw. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. It feels a little bit like kicking kick the can down the road in one because you're still leaving yourself hanging with this Dexter on board that's going to clog up future draws, um, potentially on non-Logos turns that you're going into, right? Ugh. What and about a library
1: t- access turn? Do you play him?
0: On a library access turn, I play him. Yes. Savage. Yeah, yeah. On a library access turn, I play him. Um And I feel bad about myself, <laughs> I do it. <laughs>
1: and then you're stuck with it in, in your hand the turn after that and not wanting to go back to Logos since you yeah. just played all your Logos cards. And now you yeah. have this deck so you can't get rid of.
0: Totally, totally. It's the worst. It's
1: the worst I, I find I've it done. interesting. Well, sorry, to like kind of pivot again out of nowhere. Um, I just had a, a thought about training costs. Um, I was playing not tonight in a game a few weeks ago and I forget what card it was but I think maybe a sunk cost I played to like randomly discard a card and I hit the training costs out of her hand and I was thinking how nice it would be if someone could just like randomly discard the dexter uh, or the cursed relic you know things like that and like th- the bad cards in woe it seems like they are they're coming with like the pros and cons like the cursed relic comes with six pips that it brings in the training cost brings in the most powerful token just by like, you know, in a vacuum. Um and so, I don't know, they're interesting in, in that regard because, you know, you can't just look at training costs and say like training costs is obviously a bad card. Um but it does bring some other value into the deck that you can't really quantify in a single card. I think there's more cards like that in Winds of Exchange than there are um and so like obviously things like training costs by themselves are bad, but they're like the worst of the worst in Winds of exchange, but only when you look at them in a vacuum,
0: mm. yeah, we've got what Zenos and toad, which are arguably both not great cards <laughs>
1: Zeno's blood shadow
0: Zeno's blood shadow, yeah, it's
1: a perfectly fine card
0: this was uh so this was called out as a bad card, I think, on the weekend Key Warrior cast, if I'm remembering correctly um I mean uh, toad obviously is a bad card, but toad's a bad card toads I mean, you can still fight with it, it's just instructing you this is like. This was, this is for you clogging, right? Toad is just instructing you how to play, how to play optimally. Must fight with the toad. Uh, <laughs> I got to say that, him? you know what?
1: You know what I often do with the toad? What's that? Just let him sit there on the board. If I fight Damn. with him, that means I'm going to draw him again.
0: The toad lives there for, for definitely a spectator life is the toad's life. <laughs>
1: He's sitting there. Everyone's leaving him alone. He's like, all right, I'm just going to sit here. I, I got nothing better to do.
0: Yeah. Just going to sit here and mess up your fang tooth cavern ideas with, key frog that's my plan that's true too uh
1: do we have any other any things we wanted to hit on that we haven't already
0: Mm -hmm. i think those are the the big ones uh i mean we talked about context being super important when evaluating good cards people do bemoan like hey why do bad cards exist and obviously you know there's got to be a lower half of the of the power pool the power spectrum right it can't just all be above grade as it were Mm -hmm. Uh, certainly you can look at cards within a specific set and ask if these are all generally better than the ones that have come before it but within a given set you know the Mm -hmm. given pool for a deck you're looking at just sealed for example There are going to be cards that are bad relative to the others and i don't know it's i guess if you're if you're looking at even within a single set um there are going to be cards that are worse than others but there could be a tighter grouping on, on power level right like we could look at woe and say, You know what in woe there aren't that many bad cards, but that's because the quote unquote bad cards in woe are just not that much worse than the decent or good cards, right, as mm-hmm. opposed to things like coda, where you know the dexters and the bad pennies are clearly a cut below by a decent margin some of the other ones,
1: yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind that um the power curve is is relative, right mm-hmm. um you're always going to have a card that is the worst card in the set, and I think it only becomes, you know, a little bit sketchy if you are comparing one set to an older set. That's when it like kind of becomes more complex. But if we're just looking at a single set, yeah, like something is always going to be the worst card in the set. Something's always going to be the best card in the set. And you were kind of touching on like what is the discrepancy between the highest and the lowest. I think that's important to look at. I think that gap is wider in Coda. Uh I think I think it's probably wider in Coda than it is in Winds of Exchange. Hmm. And I think the ceiling is also higher in Winds of Exchange.
0: Hmm. I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I definitely think it's important for there to be, you know, a range, a gradual range between the highest and lowest. So you don't want things to be too tightly packed and important to have some some situation, situational cards in there too uh, to give it some texture. Uh, totally.
1: Yeah. Um, all right, we got, we got time for another question. So the clogging wants us to, uh, we've talked about the single player perspective on bad cards. What about the two player perspective on it? For example, what cards destroy or deter force a rage quit from an experienced in from an experienced new kitchen table player. I think he means inexperienced. Um, I would say, honestly, it's the high power stuff that does that, not the bad cards. Like all the stories I've heard about someone rage quitting are not because, oh man, like my deck has three bad pennies in it. They've all been about my opponent played Gang or not, and I couldn't do anything about it or my opponent played, you know, uh Restringuntus and I literally was locked out and I couldn't do anything. Like it's the good cards in my opinion that cause those rage quits. I haven't heard as many stories about the bad cards causing rage quits.
0: Interesting. So you think there's more like like oh my gosh, turn one Halefist again. I'm out. Type yeah. of experiences than like, why do I have four bad pennies in my yeah. hand every yeah, game? For sure. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, I think either way uh, can can lead uh, can lead to that those sorts of feels. We see it. Yeah, cats are chatting in here. If you get to a point where it, it feels like, or one of the players feels like they're just not getting to play the game, uh, that's probably not a good thing. And as much as I personally love Heart of the Forest, you know, it does lead to the. You know, this is this is a yeah. Bad player experience potential type card, right? Which which can lead to those same sorts of things. Um, so I don't know. Like viewed from that lens, uh, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think getting blown out uh, can lead to some super bad feels, uh, maybe more so than than being forced to wrestle with some of your you know suboptimal cards per se. Totally. <laughs> hmm. <laughs>
1: Is a card considered a good card if it's able to force the rage quit?
0: Only in uh, Vot Leagues, as it were. (laughs) Uh,
1: No, I mean, I I don't think it's necessarily a good card. I think it creates a bad experience. Like, you can have have mediocre cards that happen to go off once and create a miserable experience for your opponent. Like, that can happen. Hmm. Doesn't mean the card's good. Just means it caused somebody to quit the game forever.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it gets back to your, your point about agency. It's definitely a thing that, the gg folks have been uh uh thinking on i mean i think that was cited as one of the reasons why uh you know alliance exists you want to want to increase uh, the feeling of player agency and i think you know power creep is can be a dangerous dangerous thing especially as the number of turns in a game goes down uh, you want to feel like you've got time to put your assemble your game plan and, and actually execute it mm. yeah well, i don't know i was trying to
1: avoid i was trying to avoid the alliance reference. <laughs> she brought it in
0: avoid those bad cards now you don't have to play them anymore quick draw that, Isn't your life better? I, I, I was just gonna say
1: that like i i was intentionally kind of avoiding the discussion on alliance because yeah like we said all along in this this, this episode that you don't have to play the bad cards or rather you you have to play the bad cards in keyforge you don't have to play them in other games alliance is like a situation where like mel well, maybe you don't actually have to play those bad cards and that to me is another reason why it's less interesting to me
0: hmm is, uh, is owning lots of decks less interesting to you? I mean, there's, there's, there's Alliance, sure, and then there's also mining for decks without bad cards in them, right?
1: Um, I gotta be honest, I, I don't like having a lot of decks. I'm over 500 still. Um, my, my new rule is that if I can't fit all of my decks in my cabinet that I built, then I need to sell some. Mm-hmm. And so I've had two, um, two bulk sales that I've done in the last year or so. I have another one ready um i think when i when you have more decks like that like i'm not an alliance player again so when i have more decks i don't get value out of those because i'm not looking for specific pods or you know i have i have more decks than i can play already and i'm the kind of player that wants to play a variety of decks um so i think there is a diminishing return on opening new decks for me now because i have opened so many where I might, I don't know. I I definitely feel like it's less interesting to me to open decks than it used to be.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know. I don't know if I should say how many I've opened. (laughs) I won't, I won't ask. It's okay. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. uh, No, it's interesting. Uh, And regardless of how many you've got, you know, your collection represents the sum, the cream of the sum of, the decks that you've opened right uh in terms of you know your capacity to avoid bad cards per se um but uh yeah be that as it may, it's an interesting interesting idea i don't know i think we just got to get you to play some more Sascap cap quick draw
1: yeah uh, <laughs> i don't know if it's going to happen uh i mean it would be a way for me i was just scrolling through my favorite decks right before the show and uh, there was a bunch of decks in there that I I do love, and I have fun playing them, but they're just not good enough to play in the formats that I play in, which are generally Archon, Hexad, and Kagi. I could play them in Kagi, but I look for something very specific in Kagi.
0: Right on, right on. Well, cool. Uh, Oh, oh, wait. I was just going to say anything else, but I had one other thing uh, I forgot to mention earlier. Um, One of our favorite favorite bad cards, I didn't touch on um, Strange Ordination, which is don't get me wrong. It's not a bad card, but it's a strict downgrade, uh, virtuous works, right? I think that's at least something we can agree on. Uh, so kind of, if you're, if you're looking at cards and, and, you know, comparing them, you might look at virtuous works and say like, oh man, really? Like, like, are not virtuous works, sorry, excuse me. Um, strange ordination. You'd look at that and say, oh man, really? Like, uh, what's going on here? I, I was used to living the virtuous works life and now you've, you've got me, uh, got me taking tides to get my three ambers like what's the deal i really like this card design wise a lot because it asks you to evaluate the cost of raising the tide uh, relative to like the core resource of the game or the core the core uh core resource of the game being amber right and it's very simple like cut and dry like is the tide taking the tide worth three amber right now and like, yeah, you may already have it, you may not, but I think this card is excellent design wise, even though it's a strict downgrade, uh, because in, uh, in the set dark tidings where you have to figure out the tide, uh, it asks you to, you know, just, just, just kind of, or, or even, you could even say it's the designers telling you, you know, how to value taking the tide, um, which I think is is really nice as a sort of design signpost in the, in the set. Yeah. Uh, yeah
1: it's probably a lot of dt cards that i could think about that are technically bad but i still like them anyway
0: <laughs> all your favorite cards quick draw <laughs> i think so cards.
1: yeah probably yeah. all my favorite ones
0: cool well all right uh any last any last thoughts uh good or bad before we uh before we wrap
1: no that's it for me i think this evening
0: well cool well speaking of bad cards uh there's uh, arguably a bad card inspired this is a bad card i don't know our sponsor yeah, this evening it's a bad card yeah. uh sponsor this evening uh is none other than uh spangler box escape rooms so uh and they've written us a nice little note here uh it says uh, embark on the adventure of a lifetime with spangler box the immersive key forge escape room experience assemble your team of archons and delve into the mysteries of the crucible where ancient artifacts and hidden chambers await your discovery Collaborate with your team to forge keys and make strategic decisions that shape the unfolding narrative. Book your session now at spanglerboxescape.com and unleash the archon within you in this unforgettable journey through the heart of Keyforge. So awesome. Thanks very much. Spangler Box Escape Rooms. I dig it.
1: Very good idea. Yeah.
0: Very good idea. Are you are you an escape room guy? Quick draw. Do you do a Never rooms? done one. I think you enjoy them.
1: I think I probably would. I don't have any specific aversion to them. I just haven't found myself in a situation where a group of friends has said, hey, let's go to an escape room tonight.
0: Okay. Well, maybe you'll head over to SpanglerBoxEscape.com and see what they have to (laughs) offer. You're right. (laughs) Cool uh well folks uh bottom of the beaker is recorded live on tuesdays at 9 30 sometimes 9. tonight it was a little earlier eastern time right here at twitch.tv sloppy lab work you can find recordings of our past shows and other streams over at youtube search for at sloppy lab work over there and for the very best content uh 34 no no <laughs> 57 times distilled and scraped from the bottom of the beaker search for that very phrase in your podcatcher of choice and we'll be there right between the bad penny and Dexter waiting to play some key forge with you. Uh, thanks very much. As always, quick draw, any final words for the folks getting off of the last audio stop.
1: I hope you guys enjoyed talking about bad cards and stay sloppy.